Hey, welcome to the Happy Ramp Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined, as always, by my good friend and partner in radio, Barnabas Piper. And, uh, Pipe, you are out on, the we- uh, out on the West Coast. You are in the land of Ron Martin and uh, the land of sabbaticals and dinners out with sports playing in the, uh, in the, in the room. Um, what's, the, what's the weather like out there? Um, it's, it's – well, mornings out here are like my favorite weather. It's like 40 mm-hmm. and sunny. Which is Ooh, just dude, about perfect. Good. And then this time of year, it gets up to uh, like 70, 75, no humidity. Wow. So um, I, can, I can understand why people pay the premium to live in this part of the world. Sure, um, there's, sure. There's a lot of them that do. Uh, and that's why I wouldn't want to move out here because there's too many people. But it's a beautiful place. Yeah. No, I feel you, man. We're actually looking at a nice day here in uh, here in West Tennessee, pipe. So wow, uh, that's, that's rare for this time of year. I mean, we're getting into spring there, but not, we're not quite yeah. There. I feel like we're moving out of monsoon season, maybe. So <laughs> I have I have hope that we are at least. Right. But uh, Piper, we have we have better things to talk about than the weather. We do. Um, we have business, and then we have uh, we have our usual allotment of stimulating conversational topics. So uh, business wise, let's talk about together for the rant. This is right around the corner now. It's officially. Um, just over a month away. So, well, just Piper, over tell a month them how the time can... of this recording. I think when this episode drops, it will be less than a month. So that it means will, it will be less than one month away. That means which people need huge. to uh, need to get their butts in gear and go buy their tickets. That's it, man. And where do they do that? Happyrampodcast.com. Yep, happyrampodcast.com is the easiest place to go. I would ask a favor of of our listeners if mm-hmm. you're planning to go. Please tell your friends who, you know, especially if they're planning to be it together for the gospel and just go, hey, why don't you get tickets to this thing too? Because mm-hmm. you are our best marketing tool. We've talked about this thing ad nauseum. And yeah. I think that means until nausea. I'm not sure about the Latin, <laughs> but that's kind of the way I'm beginning to feel about promoting this thing. Dude, um, I'll ask my kids. My kids go to classical school, which means they're learning Latin. So okay. I'll, uh, maybe we'll bring them on the program. We can get a little Latin lesson. Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, just to learn. I, so, yes, we've promoted this thing until I'm sick of it. So now I would ask your help. If you're planning to go, would you tweet about it, Facebook about it, invite your friends, send the link. If you're not planning to go and wish you could go, would you please do the same thing? Just to just to throw out a little free support by hitting send on a tweet or a Facebook post or an Instagram go. or a you know whatever other social media account you like to use. Pipe, I realize we're taping this episode like really closely on the heels of the last one dropping, but have has there been any activity in the Ligaris Coffee is for closers meme space? I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that pop up at all. There has been a little bit of traction on the discount code we gave for the Together for the Rant, but Ligaris Coffee is for closers I haven't seen yet. So uh, I would encourage listeners to jump on that. But my guess is by the time they hear me, we will have had a couple listeners who deliver because they come through in the clutch for us so regularly. I feel like they do, man. I feel like they can be counted on. And that's that's the one thing uh, that I do love about our listeners. So hopefully they can be counted on to buy tickets for uh, live in Louisville too, together for the rants and, uh, maybe even bring me some swag this time. You know, well, I don't want to get my hopes up. Well, after our conversation about support animals, we did have one guy who tweeted and said he would bring a support cigar for you. And, uh, wow. and Dude, so like that's, that is a deep expression of affection for Ted Cluck is to bring a it support really cigar to really together is. for the rant. 
dude, he's ministering to me in a, in a very tangible way and I will take it. But, uh, Pipe, speaking of, of serious things, things of a serious nature, I'm going to lay, I'm going to lay a little something on you and a little something on the audience. Uh, I feel guilty about something that I said in the last episode about soup night. Um, soup night is a thing that I'm involved in. Um, not only because, uh, I am a sad, hollowed-out shell of my former um, dangerous self, but but because I actually do enjoy it, and I enjoy the people at Soup Night. And uh, I just want to apologize publicly for um, what I said about that situation, and I'm reminded that, um, man, on the air and off the air, I can like really get in trouble with my words <laughs> and really occasionally be a huge jerk, and uh, I hate that aspect of myself. I really do, and it's a reminder, again, not to get all – uh, you know, shepherd's conference on the thing, but it's, it's a reminder of how deeply I need the gospel. Like I need Christ's forgiveness in, in every aspect of my life, including this one. So, uh, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for forgiving people in my, uh, in my life who, who put up with me and continue to put up with me. And that's, uh, that's all I'll say about it, Piper. But, yeah. uh, but well, I on, on, the, the, on the, the heels of that, we, we periodically get feedback about being too cynical Mm-hmm. Um, I don't worry about the people who are offended that we're sarcastic because that doesn't yeah. bother me. I don't feel – I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But cynicism is yeah. a thing that I – I don't want to cannonball into cynicism. Yeah, and right. so I, I take those criticisms seriously for personally because I know that I, I easily devolve into being a cynic. Sure. Um, and for us as a podcast because we – you know, it's called the happy rant. It's not called the the, the grumpy, angry rant that hates everything um, yeah. or that thinks everything is dumb. Even though, yeah. you know, we do poke fun at things, we want to maintain a tone of doing it mostly from a place of, like, we're part of this crowd that we're making fun of or we're having sure. – it's all in good fun. And, and that means towing the line a lot. So we tow this line yeah. of, like, we're making fun of, but once it moves from laughing with to laughing at or mm. – you know, we're not kind of all in this together. We, we've overstepped. And we, we do that sometimes and make mistakes for the sake of trying to make a joke. And, uh, yeah. yeah, it's just it's, – it's, it's a hard line to balance. And when we make a mistake, it's good for us to be able to, to admit it and apologize. So sorry to those who have, who have told us about the cynicism that we sound like we're getting into. That might also be an effect of not having positive Ronnie on the show because he's the upbeat one. But uh, we – you know, Is he the upbeat one? That's funny, man. He's the least uh I'd say he's the least aggressive in his criticism. Yeah, he's he's the most politic, that's for sure. Yeah, okay. You know. <laughs> Maybe that's what I mean. Yes. <laughs> and and he and he just he sounds very California easygoing, he does. whereas yeah, you know, yeah, you and I will kind of go in on things. So yeah, he, yeah. he's a good counterbalance to our our snark. And, that's true. Uh, so anyway, not to belabor all of this and drag it on forever and ever, but yeah. We do not want to be cynical and critical to the point of hurtful. We do That's want true. to, in, you know, use snark, sarcasm, those things for jokes. So when we overstep, we do want to be able to admit our our failures in that. Most definitely, man. Most definitely. And we we are grateful for every listener and and again, the people in our real lives who put up with us, but uh <laughs> especially those people. Especially those people. All of that being said, Piper, we are about to get sarcastic about a people group. And this is a people group that is near and dear to both of us. It's a people group that we, um, you know, were probably a part of at one point in our lives. I was definitely a part of this. I don't think I was to the extent that you were. I definitely wasn't reformed at the time. But um, 
I, I'm a part of it now in the sense that I teach at a Christian college and I go to a reformed church in the metro area of that Christian college. So the people group that we're going to talk about is I want to talk about what life looks like for a, a white reformed college dude, because I feel like you could drop us in any part of the United States in which there are white reformed college dudes and life would look startlingly similar. Um, so let's suss out Piper. What are some of the aspects of life? Like, what are, what does your life look like if you're a white reform college dude? Well, I mean, and, and so the way that I'm coming at this is mm -hmm. these are guys at Christian colleges. So, oh, is, sure, sure, sure. you know, yeah. I, this, th I think there's a slightly different brand for this bunch who are, you know, part of, you know, RUF or crew or whatever at a big state university. So I'm thinking, sure, sure, sure. I'm thinking union Wheaton college, you know, the schools that, you and I have deep investments in current, That's it. current or past. So yep. um, honestly, the first thing that came to mind when we when we began to, to lay this out was Ultimate Frisbee. Yes. Talk about what talk about why Ultimate Frisbee is so important in the lives of these of these young white reformed college dudes, because you're right. A anywhere you go again, whether you're in like, you know, Hammond, Louisiana or Los Angeles or you know, Wheaton, Illinois, there's a lot of Frisbees being thrown by these guys. Why is that? I, you know, I, I honestly struggle. I, I played ultimate Frisbee, you know, I was on a, we, Wheaton had a pretty, pretty involved, uh, intramural club ultimate team. Frisbee yeah. league. They also had a club team, mm -hmm. which started while I was there. And, nice. you know, they asked me to join. And by that Ooh. time in my college career, I was like, I see you Piper. Yeah, I know. I got recruited to be on a on an upstart club ultimate frisbee team. It's the, one of my greatest athletic non accomplishments. <laughs> um, uh, it, you know, by that by that time in my college career, I was maybe a junior or senior, and I didn't wasn't that interested. But if they had asked yeah. me a year or two earlier, I would have I would have thought it was like a status symbol to go out and play on like the the practice soccer field with these guys in bandanas. Um, yeah, dude. And and here's the thing: it actually is a status symbol at Union. Like our club frisbee team probably draws more fans than our intercollegiate sports do. And that's not a joke. Um, uh, like it's a huge deal to be on the, on the union, like Frisbee team. See, and, and I, I think, okay, so I have a couple theories on why it's so popular. One is sure. it's um, if you play varsity sports, it's uh -huh. very hard to be like a rabid reformed guy because you have your commitments to other things. Because you don't have time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you don't, you're, you're you don't have practice. time for 2 a.m. Yeah. arguments about limited atonement. You don't have time <laughs> to to be judging what people are reading or not reading and debating whether or not C.S. Lewis was a heretic. You don't have time. Oh, for dude, those that's things. a favorite reformed guy thing. Being yeah. down on C.S. Lewis is a is a you could set your watch by that reformed guy phase. Which, yeah, I was going to say it is a phase because you, yeah. you know you. You loved the Chronicles of Narnia. Then you find out that yes. he was that he was like rigorously anti-Calvinist and an right. Anglican. So clearly, oh. he was heretical, if not just apostate. And you know, you yes, go through you that get all, phase. Yeah, you get all conflicted about it. Like, right. well, I, I, I've got some concerns, quite frankly, about C.S. Lewis. So, and so, you you start laying that on people, right? Yeah, and you, and then you go, you pick out the four phrases in, uh, you know in whatever it is surprised by joy then you're like see pagan um yeah and yeah. okay so uh, you don't have time for that stuff if you're a varsity athlete but if you're like a, yeah. an intramural athlete or a club athlete first of all you don't have to be that good at sports which is a yeah. great starting point for a lot of white boys um absolutely and and then you know you 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 have time for these other very essential parts of of white reformedom i think the other aspect of ultimate frisbee that is so appealing is that it's co-ed 
oftentimes. Yes. Yeah, that's it, man. If you don't know how to talk to girls. Yeah. uh, And you don't know how to think about dating. If you're you're not certain that dating is, is, uh, you know, not going to send you straight to hell, then the only way to talk to girls is like a college ministry or, uh, or playing Frisbee with them. And so not to be weird, but it's, it's like the only way to have like physical contact with a girl that's not considered inappropriate. Right. You know what I mean? So you're yeah. like going after the same Frisbee together and it's like the highlight of your week. Yeah. You're you like know? sprinting shoulder to shoulder, you yeah. know, and, uh, and, and that's just, that's just super exciting. And so, yeah, you want to get on the intramural team with the cutest girls. Um, yeah. Or, Dude, and or I if find you're that competitive reforms, with the good, the ones who are really good. I find that reform guys tend to go for a certain kind of girl. And this is, this is going to venture into really probably dicey territory. So stop me pipe if, if you need to, but if I'm supposed to be your conscience, you're in bad shape. <laughs> Dude, we need Ron back. I know <laughs> we need Ron to be the conscience for both of us. But what, what I was about to say though, like reformed guys. So they want a girl who's really thinky and really smart. They also tend to want a girl who doesn't wear hardly any makeup, but is still beautiful. You know what I mean? Right. So Kind of the natural, the natural like hikey, bikey, frisbee playing girl who can like, you know, quote Grudem's systematic theology while also like, you know, snatching a frisbee out of the air. And you know I, what I mean? And ideally, is is uh, verbally outspoken about wanting maybe a career for a time, but then to be a stay at home mom because oh, absolutely like, verbally outspoken about about ideally how complimentary uh, complementarian she already is. Right? You know what I mean? Yeah, but not somebody who kissed dating goodbye because then you don't have a shot. Like, so ultimately, yeah. what I think we're saying is that the white reformed college dude wants a girl who is a unicorn. Like, this she is- wants, yeah, he wants a unicorn. And, and, and Piper, I see this all the time. Do, do you not see this? Like, these guys are just like, well, you know, she doesn't look like a Victoria's Secret model, and she's not a five point Calvinist. So I don't think I can. I don't even want to have coffee with her. You know what I mean? I don't even want to chase a Frisbee with her. So, yeah, these guys are holding out for something that, like, basically doesn't exist. Yeah, it's uh, – and, and and if it did exist, they, they probably don't have the cojones to, no. to say, hey, do, do you want to, you know, grab coffee on Thursday or dinner on Friday or whatever. Like, just to straight up ask her out. Like, that's – I think yeah. we've talked about this on a previous episode. Maybe it was the one that we did with your students a year or so ago. Um, yeah. But yeah, just didn't have the guts to just ask her out. So that, I mean, and that, but that's a key element of wef, ref, white reformed college dude life is right. a complete, frisbee, it just frisbee. a complete paralysis around all things dealing with women, except for oh, frisbee. Absolutely, except for frisbee. So yeah, where I was going with that was frisbee essentially becomes your dating life. You know what I mean? Um, so here's your dating life if you're a white reformed guy. Frisbee. And whatever mission trip you go on in January, like I think, and if you're if you're really lucky, you're at a church that like does dinners, like so families yeah. will host college students. So maybe you yep. get to go to somebody's house with somebody of the opposite gender. There's like four or five of you, and a couple yeah. of them are girls. Then that also counts. You lump that into your dating life. Sure, you're sharing a ride here and there. Maybe you can call that whatever. But I feel like okay. So let's talk about the dating aspect of reform guys. We've already we've already kind of gotten into it, but. I feel like if you're a reformed guy, you never have a girlfriend. And what I mean by that is you you do all this hanging around and then you announce your engagement. You know what I mean? But you never introduce anyone as your girlfriend. Have you have you seen this, Piper? Or am I off base on this? 
Yeah, well, and culturally, I think that's very true. I think um, there, there's like there's usually a phase where you are very clearly dating, very clearly boyfriend and girlfriend, but for yeah. some reason, it's not in the vernacular. It's like that is a that's yeah, a that's, tri- a, that's a trite, unwholesome dude, thing. Dude, it's a something. trite, unwholesome thing. Like, so calling someone a girlfriend and calling it dating, those are two things that are beneath you because if you're a white reformed college dude, you're super smug, right? And I, I say that with a with a large degree of, you know, There's, sympathy and, and affection in my heart because and I say I, I say it with lots of memories. Like I was dude, right. I was so yeah. so smug. Absolutely, and and being smug is a part of the intoxicating kind of cocktail of being a, a reformed college dude. Yes. Um, like if you can't be smug, you're losing out on like 80% of the fun of being, yeah, there, there is no point in being a reformed college dude. If, uh, if, if you're you, not going to take advantage of being smug, if you can't be yeah. profoundly smug and just, <laughs> and just a jackass about the whole thing. Yes, absolutely. So what are some other things you're being smug about besides dating? If you're a reformed white college dude, well, I mean, theology is the main thing. It's, sure. um, you know, you, you, if, if, you know, you get in an argument, you, you know, you, you move into the dorm and, you know, night number three, you're sitting around on somebody's like nasty stank couch and, <laughs> and get into, a, a, as conversations do, they go straight to the five points of Calvinism because, because why wouldn't they? And, yeah. uh, and somebody's like, well, I, I grew up assemblies of God and like, you, you almost dismiss them as a human before yeah. before they can say anything else but then okay so you suppress that that impulse and then you get and into, you have that pang of like i can't believe i chose a college where somebody who's assemblies of god would also choose you know right. what i mean and then, even, and then you're like did i pick the wrong school even though you've never actually <laughs> met anybody from that denomination because oh, your, no. your youth group your youth group didn't do the citywide things you know right. your youth group didn't didn't like go on co-missions trips if you ever ran across them it was like your youth group was wearing your teal T-shirts, and they were wearing their bright yellow T-shirts in Honduras some summer. Yeah. And so you saw all of them. which T-shirts were hideous. Yeah, they the were all ugly yeah. designs. They're all indefensible T-shirts. Yes. Um, so, so you, you know, you, you suppress the impulse to just dismiss them as a human being, and then you get into whether it's gifts of the Holy Spirit or the five points of Calvinism, whatever it is, and and you know, you you basically just listen to them for a minute, and then you're just like, well, I mean, you clearly don't read your Bible. Yeah. And and like that's that's the that is the MO and arguments. It's like, well, I mean, if you read your Bible, you would very clearly see that like Romans nine means this. Mm-hmm. It's so obvious. Um <laughs> and and that is that is reformed white college dude argument in a nutshell. Un- yeah. Until they've had a chance to read a few books and then they can mix in, well, like G.I. Packer says this or R. C. Sproul says this. And and then you've got like a You've got like a child with a with a weapon in their hands at that point because it's, it's like a, it's like a weaponized Calvinist. It's a dangerous thing, dude. Weaponized Calvinist is a phase. I mean, that's that's right. That's right in the same wheelhouse as the like hating C.S. Lewis phase. Um, and it's it's bad, man. Like yeah, it's a it's a real bad. It's not a it's not a pretty thing at all. So, what is your kind of aesthetic life like if you're a white reformed college dude? What are you what are you wearing? What's your t-shirt life? What's your like music listening life. My See, sense is that you're you're dabbling in a little like five years ago, Lecrae would have been the reference. I don't know who it would be now, but like you're you're sort of doing the like I'm good with rap thing in certain contexts. Like I'm I'm okay with black people. You know, so you're dabbling in a little bit of that aesthetically. What else? 
Yeah, I think. I mean, I think. Uh, I think in the the broader white reformed world, it's still you know Lecrae. It's the Reach Records crowd. Yeah. If yeah. you're you know if you're a little bit more adventurous, you you have found a few others. But uh-huh. honestly, like those are the only like rubber stamped reformed approved uh, right. hip hop artists. Yeah. Besides some some others who nobody's ever heard of because they're just not very good. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, you've got that. Like you've, Owen Strakehan, right? Didn't he yeah. make a hip-hop record? <laughs> Boy, if he did, I, I imagine he's tried to scrub that thing from the internet. Um, I feel I, like I never tire of talking about this. I bring it up <laughs> once a year. It's my annual, you know, uh, <laughs> slide into talking yeah. about Owen Strakehan's rap record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it, that's an amazing thing. So, yeah, you've got yeah. that. You've got like um, – so, but what? see, what what else would you have? Because the college world is weird because they're not like if you're if you're like a so if you're like a theology major, you know, so mm-hmm. you're you're really going in on this, you usually get to one or two conferences a year. You know? Yeah. You go to Passion and you're like, man, I loved what John Piper had to say. I can't believe they let Beth Moore on stage. Like that was yeah. a woman oh, preaching. Yeah. That's that's horrendous. Uh-huh. Even though I this isn't a, room. even though this isn't a local church and yeah. she's a more gifted preacher than most dudes. Um <laughs> so you, you know, you've got you got that aspect. So, you know, you kind of have your, your conference affiliations. It's almost like, you know, you've got like Bama football fans and Georgia football fans. You've got like John Piper fans and Tim Keller fans and, and uh, you know, Matty Chan and whoever else. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and so, but then like just the aesthetic of the person, this is the one place where, where white uh, college reform dudes can vary because you can be very preppy, you can be very yeah. slobby, you can be very yep. grungy, you can be kind of whatever on the spectrum, so long yeah. as you can engage in dating awkwardness, ultimate frisbee, and inane theological arguments. Absolutely. See, I feel like we don't get like there's different genres of cool college kids, and I again, I love the college kids at our church, but I don't feel like we we're not getting like the ones that the that the world would rubber stamp as cool. Like the the kind of gleaming mega churches in town are getting the sort of 1980s cool, you know, college yeah, kid. The yeah. the Anglican church is getting the sort of current actually cool versions of college kids. You know what I mean? Like that that yep. thing is really popping and I think I don't know a whole lot about it, but I think it's a lot of it has to do, you know, there's a certain aesthetic there that's that's just absolutely missing in reformed churches. Well, yeah, if you like, if you if you grow up in like happy clappy Seven Eleven song Jesus is my mm-hmm. girlfriend church culture where it's it's a lot of glitz and glam, then the yeah. first time you're exposed to liturgy, I mean yeah. it's it's like you know it's like being raised in a vegetarian home and then somebody's like no no really try the yeah. uh, try the New York strip medium rare and you're like oh my goodness that's all I'm gonna eat every meal now absolutely. Dude, another thing about that. So every once in a while, when I go to the hipster coffee shops here, there's a there's like a hot priest from the Anglican Church, like meeting with people, and like he's got the clerical collar and everything, and it, it just feels very. It's like a thing out of a movie. When you, you say know? hot, do you mean like he's a hot looking person, or hot as in like popular? Yeah, like hot looking, like he's a good looking priest. I mean, probably both, but okay. Yeah, we're looking at a good looking priest meeting with you in a coffee shop. Like that's a good scenario. And that's a scenario that the reformed church is not delivering, you know? Yeah. A lot, we don't, of, we don't, a lot of dumpy dudes in, in tweed and, and khaki and stuff in the reformed church. 
And I feel like in the Reformed Church, by and large, you're meeting you're meeting in the office, not the coffee shop. You know what I'm saying? How, however, a quintessential yeah. white Reformed college dude thing is the early morning or late at night accountability group, which often happens at a coffee shop. Dude, now how can an accountability group happen at a coffee shop where you're talking about like looking at porn and stuff? I mean, is that a thing? Is that a thing you talk about in the in the coffee shop? Well, I mean, who, nobody's ever accused college dudes of being self-aware, so they probably don't realize that the people at the table 18 inches away can hear them. Um, That's true. So, well, we know this because they talk loudly about everything else, and so you can hear them arguing about sports or breaking up with their girlfriend or whatever, which is occasionally entertaining and most of the time annoying. Um, yeah. But yeah, so it's, I mean, I like in my college career, I went through, I went through seasons of like the 6 a.m. coffee before class. Yeah. Partly because that's like self-flagellation for a college student. Like right now, if sure. I was to meet somebody at 6 a.m., like that's no big deal. I get up super early anyway because I'm an old man. Um, yeah. But in college, that's like that's like Martin Luther beating himself with whips or whatever. That's that's what 6 a.m. Right. is. So, Absolutely. Yes, and so you trudge your way to Caribou Coffee or Starbucks or whatever uh, local hipster yep. coffee shop it is. And you all go around the circle and admit to looking at porn and you all mm-hmm. feel very shamefaced, and nobody has anything helpful to say. And then you're like, "Well, let's try to not do that this week." All right, see you at six a.m. Mm-hmm. again next week. Yeah, or there's something at, magical or about like that happening. To do the same thing. What's that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Six a.m. is more magical, though. It's right. more self-flagellating. So I think it like in the in we've talked about this before in the strange economy of like reformed guys creating law. Like I think the earlier the men's meeting happens, the better because it's more miserable. So like you could even push it back to five a.m. You know, you yeah. could go 4 a.m. and it would be even more like, you know, works in that area. But um, when the, Piper, the, the other aspect of it is um, you, you call out the guys who aren't serious. So you're yeah, like, this is true. only for people who really want to hate themselves about the things they did wrong. <laughs> exactly. Like if you really want to loathe your existence for a couple hours, this is your right. opportunity. But hey, grace. Yeah, you know. that's right. There's, there's hey, enough grace to cover both your lack of sleep. And and uh, all the things you did wrong. Oh, exactly, man. It's so funny, dude. It's so true. So, Pipe, I want to transition us kind of a, in a in a completely different direction, and I want to do it by admitting to something. So this this is in a way like the four a.m. coffee. Um, <laughs> but what I'm admitting to is that minutes before we came onto the air to to tape this program, I gave probably one of the worst lectures of my life, and it devolved into. I don't know how we got there, but it devolved into me showing a clip of the Rocky Four training montage. Um, <laughs> so what you're saying is that the end justifies the means. The end justifies the means in a way, although I'm not sure. I'm not sure how it landed, and I'm not sure how this generation like appreciates the Rocky Four training montage. Probably not very well, but it got me thinking about something. And what I'm thinking about is bad movies that we love. Since last week we did the inverse of that, we did like amazing movies that sucked. Right. Um, these are crappy movies that we love. And for me, the king of that genre is Rocky Four. Rocky Four is quantifiably a trash movie. Um, <laughs> it's 89 minutes long, 64 minutes of which is a montage of some kind, right? So Rocky Four, uh, it montages the first three Rocky movies, um, it montages parts of itself. Uh, it's, it's, it, the script must have looked like a pamphlet. It must have been like three pages of actual dialogue. So Rocky Four is a is a trashy movie in which um, Rocky flies to Moscow to fight 
uh, Ivan Drago and also to end the Cold War and also to avenge, avenge his friend Apollo Creed's death. Um, but I tell you, in spite of myself, in spite of fully being an adult and knowing that it's a crappy movie, I love Rocky Four and I enjoy watching it. So, uh, Pipe, what are some movies like that for you? Well, we've we've talked at length on a previous episode. I, I mean, it's probably been it's probably been a few months now, but just all things Nicolas Cage. Yes, and, and oh, Cage, absolutely, very Cage watchable. Has movie. Cage has a he has made a career out of enjoyable horrific movies. Yeah, you know The Rock and Dude, The Rock is so bad, but it's, so it's good. Just the dumbest, and it's yeah, it's so entertaining. So is Gone in sixty seconds. Just a, absolutely. Just a, a filth movie like it's yeah not filth morally but like filth yeah. artistically it's so bad yeah. and yeah. it's just fun it's just yeah so Nicolas Cage is a category of these movies dude can we talk about that for a minute because I agree Nic- Nicolas Cage is a genre definer in terms of this this category but my question to you pipe vis-a-vis the rock is as follows if you are Sean Connery and you've got kind of a an impressive resume of movies and you're considered like a better than average actor. Why do you do the rock? Like, why are you doing that? Because in my sub question to that is, were these good actors at some point laboring under the misconception that, um, that Nicholas cage had an upside as an actor? Um, I want you to speak to that. I, I feel like there has been, there, there's been like statistical data. Nicholas Cage has has drawn the spotlight. Let's put it that way. In how in the world does this guy keep making big budget movies? Or at least he did from like 1993 to like 2008, seven or eight. I don't think yeah, he, yeah. you know. Since then, it's like, well, now you're going to do Left Behind. Um, yeah. But I I don't know. I think I think people hadn't quite caught on to the fact that he was a, a parody of something. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Connery had reached the point where kind of like – and we've talked about this before too with like Pacino and other yeah. kind of older actors who are just like, I give up. You know, the, the, exceptions, yes. the exceptions are like Dustin Hoffman and uh, mm-hmm. who else? I mean there, there's – Tom Hanks. There's not a ton yeah. who are getting older no, and still making great movies. Um, Dude, you know, who's, you know who's become a self-parody? And KK and I realized this the other night as we were watching uh, Murder on the Orient Express. I don't know if you've seen the picture. Have you I seen have. it? Yep. Yeah. Johnny Depp is a is an absolute parody of Johnny Depp. He's just a guy doing Johnny Depp. Yeah, at John, this point, when, when Johnny know? Depp did Jack Sparrow, yeah. he has never done another character since. That was the end of his life. Yep. That was the end of his he, career as, a, as well, an actor. I, I yes. think he deserves credit because he finally discovered himself. He's like, I am a parody of Keith Richards playing a pirate. So therefore, <laughs> I'm going to just do that in every Dude, movie. it's a niche of a niche of a niche persona-wise. In that, he's not unlike a college kid. Right. Except that he was doing his like persona work in front of the whole world. And, you know? and making so much money for it. So good for so him. So much money. I, Absolutely. I, I will endorse anybody who can do a, a Keith, Richard, Keith Richards playing a pirate and make tens of millions of dollars off it. Like, that person deserves a high five. Those are crappy movies. Do you enjoy them? Uh... I really enjoyed the first one. They, the other ones were so bad they were not enjoyable. Yeah, they were really, really bad. I agree. I agree. Um, let's see. What, what? Oh, here's another. Here's another sort of genre of pretty bad movies that are really yeah. fun. Anything Guy Ritchie does. Oh, sure. Okay. Guy, Guy Ritchie's movies are, you know, they have their own aesthetic. 
so they snatch have... <laughs> lock stock and two smoking barrels these are guy Ritchie yeah he did right? he did yeah. the he did the sherlock holmes ones with uh yeah. Robert downey jr he did yep. uh what was his most recent one uh the king arthur movie which was yep. again just a certifiably bad movie that yes. i really enjoyed watching Dude, remember when we thought those Sherlock Holmes movies were good until the series Sherlock came out, which <laughs> yes. was like 150 <laughs> times better? Yeah. Well, here's – just as a general rule for movies, if you try to take something that's a period – you know, it's set in a historic period and yeah. modernize it. Yeah. So you're like, we're going to do modern music. We're going to make it feel very modern. We're not going to do it appropriate to its time. It's going to be bad. You just sure. – it, it just never works. Yeah, which is yeah. why the the series Sherlock did work because you're like, oh, he's going to use technology and be a whiz on the internet, and you know, right? Oh, good. Now we have a modern Sherlock. That was pretty cool. Yeah, but yeah, Guy Ritchie just categorically is uh, is, you're is right. bad movie really enjoyable. Now, do do we give? I want to talk about Mulligans in this area, and then I'll I'll lay another movie or two on you, but. Uh, I want to go back to Nick Cage, and then I want to hit a Guy Ritchie thing. All right. Do you think that Nick Cage got a mulligan in terms of – like do you think he got more life on his acting reputation? Because he did that one like unfunny comedy that like hipster film people like. What, oh, what's the uh, name of it? Raising Ra- Arizona? Raising Arizona. It, it, allegedly a comedy but not funny, um, and it gave him some hipster credibility. Do you think that that impacted like his persona? Uh, I, I think it did. I think at least at least amongst a certain crowd of people. See, here's my thing with Nicolas Cage. I feel like he is um he's like an athlete with like maybe like a submarine pitcher or something. Yeah. He can do one thing. He throws like one pitch from one yeah. angle and it can get one kind of hitter out. He's and Dan Quisenberry. Right. And so <laughs> except except not even that good. He's like Byung Hung yeah. Kim, you know, the guy oh, who was yeah, really yeah, yeah. good for like a yeah. season and a half and then got rocked yeah. and was out of the league. And he's Raleigh Fingers. He has the mustache. Which, you know, that, right. Which means <laughs> if if the manager or director puts him in a position to succeed, which is a very tiny position, he can do right. well. Like right. um You gotta like, come in in like the middle of the seventh inning against a lefty. Right. And you'll do well. And just, yeah, but just only one, then. Just one hitter, maybe two if yeah. they're both lefties. Um yeah. and then uh and then from there it, it, beyond that, he just gets rock. He's just he can't yeah. lead a movie. So like I, Raising Arizona, I didn't enjoy, but like Matchstick Men, which is this weird little offbeat heist film where he was like a he played a really neurotic guy who had like anxiety and whatever else. That that actually worked because I don't think he was acting. I think he actually thought he was robbing banks. Um, yeah, and and so he's he's that guy. Yeah. The problem is when they're like, here, go be go go put on a mullet and uh, and take down criminals <laughs> in an airplane. You know, oh, dude, Conair. Conair, Conair is one of the best bad movies. Such a sweaty, greasy movie. I just, and, you and just want to, oh, you, you want to bathe, uh, Nick, Nick yeah. Cage. Conair. Yeah, you want to go take a shower afterwards. Like his, right. his, uh, his southern accent is the worst thing. Oh, unbelievable. Like, yeah. It's, I, I'm trying to think if I've heard, if I can remember a worse accent. <laughs> I mean, coming out of a guy's mouth. Yeah. yeah I mean, you, like, like Dick Van Dyke's uh, Cockney accent and Mary Poppins was infinitely better than Nicolas Cage's yeah. Southern accent in Con Air. I mean, it, it was yeah. so bad that it was it was entertaining. So I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned Cockney accents. I think I think Guy Ritchie gets a mulligan because of the fact that he's British. Don't you think? Like he's basically making crappy movies that are that are fun, but people feel as though they're artistic because um, 
he's Guy Ritchie and he's British and he was married to Madonna for a minute. Well, the the other thing that he did, I think that's true. I think I think yeah. Americans, if somebody has a British accent, we assume they're smarter and probably they're like, more oh, creative. it's British, it's upscale. Yeah. It's like no, it isn't. This is this is Con Air with British accents, basically. Right. Yeah. The, the other thing is he did the thing where he made a couple lower and mid budget movies, so Snatch yeah. and Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. Yeah. And he and they were they were those those were his best movies. In, in just about every way. Snatch is actually a cool movie. Right. I do like they're, they're cool. Yeah. There's some cool characters. They're funny. Like the, the plot line is twisty enough to you get to the end and you're like, whoa, that was fun. I didn't see that coming. Yeah. Um, and, and then they were, and then Hollywood was like, oh, but here's $180 million to make a movie. And he, he's somebody who needs the limitation of like $35 million to do something yeah. well. And when he gets the big money, you know, he turns into like Michael Bay with a Cockney accent. Dude, that's so true. That's so so true. Piper, I'm going to lay another one on you. This is a bad movie. This is a this is a trash movie that I love. Um, and it may be just like one iteration of sports movies too old for you. But I want to I want to know if you've seen it. It's the program. the program. Have you seen the program? No, I haven't. Here's the thing: most trash sports movies I genuinely don't like. Yeah, because See, I, I genuinely... because I'm an because I'm an actual like. I, I really like sports, and so when they're portrayed badly, it it's just yeah. it they don't it doesn't offend me. I'm just like it's boring, or it's lame. So the program came out my senior year of high school, and I was a football player, obviously. And and like when that movie came out, it was such a sensation that all of us began doing some of the things that the characters in the movie were doing, and it had the the movie had every sports movie stereotype imaginable um it had steroid stuff it had alcohol abuse stuff it had the distant unpleasable father stuff um it had unethical coach stuff so it's as though the screenwriter said i'm gonna take every sports movie trope and cliche and throw it into a like a cuisinart and press <laughs> like go and out out vomited the program and uh yet i i know I know in my heart of hearts it's a terrible movie, um, but I still can probably quote it from start to finish, and I watch it almost every fall. Yeah, I, and see, and that's and that's where like I think cliches can actually make really enjoyable movies. Yeah, like action. What was what were the? There was two or three of them, and I'm forgetting the name, but it, they were made maybe four or five years ago, and it was yeah. all of the '80s action stars. Oh, dude, the Expendables. Expendables. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Like, Again, but here's the thing: that was a a self consciously terrible movie. Like they went into it, and right? Like, that was tongue in cheek. Like we we are going to own all the cliches. We're yep. going to bring in all the cliche actors. We're going to have Jean Claude Van Damme do the splits. Like every yep. single thing that you loved about eighties action films, we're just going to drop in and snapshots, and we're going to blow stuff up. Absolutely, and they were so yep. fun. They were fun, dude. We we saw those in the theater. Uh, Zach Bartles and myself, and we took our wives for some reason, which was a, a really <laughs> probably bad idea. No, that's that's and a total bro movie. It's a dude movie. It's a dude movie. It's a bro movie. But we we sat like our wives insisted on sitting next to each other, which was a good move for them. But Zach, so Zach and I were like bookending our wives, and we spent the whole movie like leaning leaning across our wives, making clever comments to one another and uh, totally enhancing their viewing experience. I'm sure totally enhancing their viewing experience in such a way as to invite them to like, you know, uh, notice how clever we were. 
And um, I think it's failed. I think it failed on all levels. But uh, Pipe, what's, what's another movie in this genre for you? Bad movies that you love? Oh, let's see here. Um, trying to think. Well, l- let me just let me exclude a category that are bad that are not enjoyable. Okay. Uh, anything Michael Bay has his hands on. Like, okay, so give me give me some Michael Bay titles. I know, well, I know. The ones but... that come to mind most recently are are all the Transformers movies. Oh, dude, yeah, garbage. Like just just bad. very expensive garbage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, another like it. There are certain genres of movies that have to be good to be good. Like you can't make a bad good war movie. A war yeah. movie has to be good, good, or it's just garbage. Like, dude, I'm so glad you said that. That's incredibly insightful. But you're right. Like, it has to be good, good. Because, yep. And I think that's because because there's a level of sort of seriousness about it. Like you can that's make right. a, a good, bad action flick about fictional people, but not sure. if it's a World War II movie or a Vietnam movie. Or, like you can't do a good, bad movie about actual people losing their actual lives. That doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So let me, let me think of, of other um, – Dude, you know it's a lovable trash movie while you're thinking. What's that? Top Gun. Top Gun stinks. Oh, Top yeah. Gun is garbage. <laughs> It's I, I kind of feel trash. that way around most about most '80s movies, though. Yeah, yeah. Top Gun, dude. Here's 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 the thing about Top Gun. Um, there's there's no real bad guy in the movie because ice. You're supposed to feel as though Iceman is the bad guy, but Iceman is actually just a really good pilot who follows the rules and isn't a douche like Tom Cruise. Right. Yet you're supposed to root for Tom Cruise. It makes no sense. That's but None. that's that was like a quintessential. That's like a, it, it was it was like a quintessential cop movie, but dropped in the Air Force or the Navy or whatever they were, because like yeah. the rogue cop is yeah. like, that's a genre of movie. The guy who, you know, the lone wolf rogue cop who goes off and, and he's a lone wolf. He's creative. Nobody understands him. Right. And, yeah. and the bad guys are his superiors who are like, no, really, right. you should follow the rules and not shoot off your gun 47 times in the middle of a street. You know, Dude, in Top Gun, the bad guys were just people who did their jobs really well. Right, and and that's then, it. Yeah, and then the Russians who you never actually saw. Right, like they were they yeah. were sort of the threat, but they they weren't really real. Dude, I miss Russians being bad guys in movies. That was oh. a, that was a great thing well, of I the guess, bygone era. And I guess that won't happen under our current administration. But maybe again in a few <laughs> years, you know, we can we can we can make them bad guys again. Although yes. the thing is, you can't make any any ethnic or racial bad guys anymore. Um, Unless you're doing a historical movie, that's the only right. way you can get away with it. But, you, but and yeah, but, you, and you have to do it very precisely then, so that it's like this is yeah, these are not Germans, these are Nazis from yes. 1944. Nazis, it's 1944. It's very explicit. Or you can make a, an action movie in which the bad guy just in in modern action movies, the bad guy just has to be a standard like white American dirtbag. Right. You know, he can't be any other kind of dirtbag. He has to be a, wi- a white American dirtbag. Well, it can it can be like organized crime, you know, or, or like yeah. th- that, that yeah. kind of thing. Um, but it, yeah, again, it's it has to be it has to be sort of situationally explained because yes. what you cannot do is associate any sort of uh, any sort of guilt with any sort of nationality, which no, people no. used to do all the time, especially with the Russians during a period of time. But I, you know, so it's, it, yeah, you just, you can't do that anymore. Absolutely. Absolutely. You cannot. Pipe, I have one more bad movie that I, I think love is too strong of a word, but, um, and this is another sports movie, Oliver Stone's Any Given Sunday. Yes. Have you seen it? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, it's such a turd. It's, <laughs> it's such a, an absolute a, piece of trash. Yeah. 
which which is like a grown up version of the program in that it's every like pro football is bad cliche thrown into a blender and then queezed and artered up and, and vomited mm-hmm. all over the screen with no editing whatsoever. Um, you know, it's just like three and a half hours of whatever was on Oliver Stone's mind at the moment. Yeah. But which I think the, is every Oliver Stone movie, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. But the, the, the funny and like prophetic thing about that movie is that a lot of the issues that it plumbed a little bit of, ahead of its time have, have come to pass. Like yeah. it's, you know, there are things in that movie that that turned out to be true, even though the movie itself was a ripoff of a really good book, which is maybe um, my way of segueing into our last segment pipe. What are we reading? We should go short on this because yeah. I have I like to get off and, and do some work. But uh, <laughs> our but, listeners are either really enjoying this or they all they'll quit 15 minutes ago. Dude, that's OK. God bless him. So <laughs> what are we reading? pipe? I, I uh, I'm in the middle of a handful of books right now that the. The one that I'm getting close to finishing is called What's Wrong with the World? It's a, it's a collection of G.K. Chesterton essays, oh, um, which I, I, I made the commitment to myself this year that I was going to read more Chesterton because I'd only read a little bit prior. Love how he writes. Love how he yeah. thinks. I'm basically just jealous of the man's brain. Um, yeah. He's brilliant. And he's a hilarious writer. I didn't realize when I picked this up, though, that like the first half of it was about women's suffrage, uh-huh. <laughs> and, which is not a topic, especially because it's very dated and very British, that I care yeah. about. But he's such an interesting writer and thinker that it, it, made me, it made me cruise right through the women's suffrage essays because I'm fascinated by how he arrives at his conclusions. Nice, man. That's excellent. So I'm going to promo the book that uh, Any Given Sunday was stolen from, and it's a book called You're Okay, It's Just a Bruise by a former Oakland Raiders team doctor named Robert Heisinga. Um, fascinating, well-written, really honest look at um, kind of medical issues in the NFL uh, sort of in the 80s and 90s. So a great little, great little sports book. And uh, with that, Piper, we are, we are done. We have wandered to and fro throughout this episode. And until next time, Rachel the Held Evans. The Happy Rant is brought to you by Resonate Recordings. If you go to ResonateRecordings.com, you can see the full range of services they offer. So if you're considering starting a podcast, they are the ones we recommend going with. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see their prices, to connect with them and ask any questions, and to see what they can do to help you launch, edit, master, and improve your podcast. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see what they can do to help you launch and improve your podcast. Do you ever hear sayings make their way through the culture and the church that seem nice in theory, but are actually theologically problematic? My name is Shara Donahue, and I'm the host of The Bible Never Said That, a podcast where we examine these popular sayings under the lens of biblical truth. We cover sayings like, God won't give you more than you can handle, time heals all wounds, and follow your heart. We also spend time exploring how people use Bible verses out of context. If you want to grow in discernment and truth, join us and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.